0: Hello and welcome to Romaniacs, the podcast that will definitely answer your question about whether we think Brexit will be better or worse for Britain. (laughs) You only have to ask once. (laughs) I'm Dorian Linsky, back from a couple of weeks in Bookland, and joining me are two esteemed regulars. Ian Dunt is the editor of politics.co.uk. Hi Ian, how are you? Hello, very well. Also back on the show is Alex Andreo, aka Sturdy Alex from Twitter, actor, writer and singer. Hi Alex, welcome back. Hello. And in the news, Bono is promising to wave the EU flag on stage throughout U2's European tour as a gesture of solidarity, which the Mail called provocative. How dare an Irish citizen wave an EU flag while performing in the EU? Is this a good thing? I'm going to put my cards on the table and and say that I'm a Bono man. Oh Jesus, really? Yes. Wow. I always always held your judgment in quite high (laughs) (laughs) esteem. Well, I've I've met him many times, and I think he's uh, a very—I think he's generally a force for good. Judgment not perfect. His
1: music sometimes, or his music is also good.
2: (laughs) With some other things that the Daily Mail has found provocative in the last month are a statue of Erdogan, Moscow's sexiest doctor, a high school dance team next to a police car, (laughs) Sadiq Khan in a mankini. (laughs) I'm not making any of those up. You can look them. So uh, I need to see Moscow's so, sexiest dogs. I think we can safely ignore what the male finds provocative.
0: <laughs> but does it is it as is it provocative in the same way? Like, are they aroused by the thought <laughs> of Bono waving an EU flag? I think it's, it's always
2: a mix for them.
0: <laughs> it's just like I'm disgusted,
2: but also yes, turned on a little bit. Yes, yeah.
0: reluctantly aroused. yeah. yeah. Okay, this week's special guest is no... (laughs) The only ways down from here. This week's special guest is no stranger to people blatantly flying EU flags because he's an MEP. Seb Dance represents London in Brussels. He's the deputy leader of the Euro Labour group of MEPs. He sits on the Environment and Development Committees of the European Parliament. And you may know him as the MEP who held up a placard reading, He's Lying to You, when Nigel Farage made a speech to the EU Parliament defending Donald Trump's ban on immigrants from seven countries entering the United States. Hi, Seb. Hello. Thanks for coming in. You're very welcome. Thank you. So, because I think probably some people would have first noticed you about the with the placard. Was this uh, was this a a spontaneous gesture? Like, what, what led you to do it?
3: It was It was like one of these kind of distilled moments of pure rage that, uh, <laughs> that occasionally affects us in these troubling times. And uh, as I was sat there, I knew that he was going to get his four-minute speaking time because he's the leader of uh, one of the parliamentary groups in the Parliament. Uh, so this, this was automatic. And as, uh, uh, as his speaking time got nearer and nearer, I got angrier and angrier. Um, and you can't just hurl abuse uh, as much as I'd like to. Um, so the purest form of anger I could think of uh, expressed itself on a sheet of A4 uh, and a red pen that I had to scratch several times over to get it legible um, and I had no idea whether, whether anyone would even notice or uh, whether they'd, they'd haul me out of the seat before I had a chance to protest but that was my my purest form of anger moment Is, Did that, you get is t- there a
1: parliamentary rule about that stuff?
3: Well you're not supposed to kind of write derogatory signs <laughs> and sit next to your colleagues. Is, um, is that written down or is that just well, assumed? Yeah, it's 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 good <laughs> Considered unparliamentary, should we say? Yeah. Uh, and I was I was told off by the president of the parliament, but uh, he asked me to apologise for the method and not the message. So I, I duly did.
0: And did, did did Nigel take it on the chin? Because he's such a good bloke, he loves a laugh. Well, I, I apparently, <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, he takes everything so well, criticism and and and, and anything like that. Apparently, he was furious. Uh, though I can't obviously uh, vouch for for that, but apparently
0: he was, and he doesn't like the picture being. Uh, scene, so please do continue to spread it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a golden oldie. Perhaps we can design a supersized version for his forthcoming Brexit rally. Just £5 a ticket and all the gammon you can handle. <laughs> Seb is going to be with us throughout the show when we'll be talking about matters including, but not limited to, the government's no-deal technical notices, which a sweat-sodden Dominic Raab thoughtfully sneaked out in the middle of summer, <laughs> and a day after we recorded last week's show. Do we have any capacity for surprise left, and did the technical notices match up to it? Also, signatures are open for the European Citizens Initiative on continued EU citizenship for members of EU countries that leave the Union, if you know of any. Could there be anything in this? Should we be backing it, and what does it mean? And UKIP entryism into the Tory party. Aaron Banks has already been told, your name's down, you're not getting in. But an investigation by centrist Canary news site, The Red Roar, has found that one in ten UKIP councillors has joined the Tories. (laughs) Should the Conservatives be worried, and why are the Kippers bothering when we basically already have a UKIP government? We'll get into all of that and more after a few important reminders from Alex.
2: As regular listeners know, there are many reasons to support Remaniacs on the Patreon crowdfunding platform. You get early bird tickets for our live shows, sought-after Remaniacs mugs, T-shirts and tote bags. And, of course, a thought-provoking weekly column every week exclusive to Patreon backers. Starting next week, there's an extra reason to back us on Patreon. We are going to send Patreon backers every new episode a day early the moment it comes off the editing suite. You'll be able to download it immediately and enjoy the toasty, fresh bread smell of angry Brexit talks straight from the oven. We're aiming for late Thursday afternoon at the latest, but it might be early, depending on how many of Ian's swear words we have to remove. <laughs> to get each new episode early, go to patreon.com, search Romaniacs, and sign up for any tier from $2 upwards. That is the price of a single espresso or a car in Venezuela. <laughs> And if you are enjoying Romaniacs, but you don't think about Brexit all the time, heaven knows we wish we didn't have to, then you might enjoy a companion show, the pop culture podcast Big Mouth. This week on Big Mouth, they're talking about Spike Lee's Black Klansman plus an exhaustive and very sleazy retrospective box set from Soft Cell and Succession, Sky TV's thinly veiled fictionalisation of the lives of the Murdoch family, and other things too. Find Big Mouth at audioboom.com, just search Big Mouth, and visit patreon.com and search Romaniacs to get next week's show a day early and other fun things too.
0: Thanks, Alex. OK, let's spin the wheel of Brexit news. First up, those no deal technical notices announced last Thursday by Dominic Raab in the style of someone who's finally cranked up the courage to tell their fiance they've forgotten to put the wedding venue, but there's a harvester free tomorrow, and that's nearly as good. <laughs> 24 technical notices were released, revealing that if we leave with no deal, then Britons can expect slower and more expensive credit card payments when spending money in the EU. And British citizens living abroad might lose access to their bank accounts and insurance. Rob advised exporting and importing companies to engage the services of a customs broker, freight forwarder, or logistics provider to help. Which is what I'm going to tell anyone who asks me to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate, what you want to do is engage the services of a customs broker, etc. <laughs> Best of all was the advice to companies in Northern Ireland doing business in the Republic, which is effectively, talk to the Irish, it's nothing to do with us. <laughs> new phone, who this? <laughs> Ian, <new> <laughs> 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 Ian, you had to read all of this stuff. Uh, were, you, were you surprised by anything? No, not, not really. Um, oh, no, there was the one thing. It was that the
1: EU owns the copyright on the um, anti-smoking images on cigarette packets. So we need to change all the cigarette packets. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, that's <there>. a <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I've never come across that one. Um, but apart from that, not really. I mean, it, it, was, it was sort of cementing this um, sort of imbalance of power, really. Because what you had is you got Rob there just sort of saying, well, you know, if this happens, then we'll unilaterally recognise all of the EU standards on things extraordinary thing to say by the way especially from guys who for all these months have been telling us that we're undermining the UK government's negotiating position for them suddenly to come out in the middle of negotiations and go oh by the way whatever happens here we'll just recognize your standards full stop but just by virtue of making that pledge you show the fact that you need this to work more than they need it to work and of course we do in terms of how much uh, at risk we are. I mean, the latest academic figures that I saw were putting uh, the UK at 12.2% and the EU at 2.64%. That gives you an impression of exactly how that ban- imbalance of power operates. And that was pretty much embedded in every single document you looked at, which is just Britain needs this to work. So even in no deal, it'll throw itself open, accept the way the EU does things, and very, very much hope that they'll do the same thing for us. And do you think they've gone with the worst first, or is this a boiling a frog to death scenario? My guess is it will be the other way around, because most of the news attention will be on the first round, so you would expect that in two, three and four, there'll be some pretty nasty little nuggets hidden yeah. away there somewhere.
0: Seb, what did you think of it in terms of the, the timing? Was it, was it sort of sneakily getting the first shock out of the way when, when Theresa May's on holiday? Or I don't know whether the, the news cycle these days yeah. has the, the lull that it used to in August. I think
3: it, it, it still does. I mean, it's not quite this... Well... Hey, we've been in the silly season for 24 months, but I suppose (laughs) we still do have a kind of silly season. Um, But uh, it was was an odd time, I think, for any government trying to to get a series of announcements that are ultimately extremely embarrassing out because of that natural lull in the political cycle that becomes the, the the first line at news so I think probably Ian's right on that that uh, if you want to get the the softer stuff out uh, you know it's going to headline in August that's probably when you do it um so I suspect there's a lot worse to come and ultimately what this is only a third of the way through the quarter, the really quarter. yeah uh, so you know there's an awful lot to come but um you know there are extraordinary things in there and, and I find it quite odd that you know, the headline stuff is worrying enough, but actually what it means to different sectors, some sectors are you know, disproportionately affected by, by some of this stuff. Uh, obviously, if you export, it's particularly bad. But if you're a small business, uh, some of these costs are potentially ruinous. For example, if you are an organic farmer, you might have to wait nine months before your produce can be recertified. That's assuming it can be recertified. I'm not sure there are many small businesses that can have nine months of Zero customer base uh, mm. in 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 the EU, which is their market that they've been exporting to. So, I mean,
0: this is this is serious stuff. And from Labour, Hillary Benn said No Deal would be a disaster, and the government's wasted two years, which is mm. fair enough. Keir Starmer called the announcements a poorly executed PR stunt designed to convince Tory MPs to back the Prime Minister's discredited Chequers proposal. Um, nothing from Jeremy Corbyn, but I mean, the, there's rarely something from Jeremy Corbyn. Does that? matter, do you think, say, so from your point of view, or if you've got Keir Starmer and various other heavy hitters, even though, obviously, Hilary not not mm. the, the shadow cabinet. He's, he's a big name. Mm. Um, do do Labour need the leader to be kind of commenting on each project yes. development? Yes. I wish day? we were much, much stronger on this, honestly. <sighs> I, 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 was, I was being very generous there. <laughs> right, no, I know you are, and I'm not. Uh, so, um,
3: look, I, this is uh, existential stuff for many uh, small businesses. This is um, you know, ruinous for uh, the kind of programme that the Labour party would want to put into operation uh, were we to win an election so if, you know, this isn't something that we can be kind of mildly interested in this is, uh, this is as serious as it gets and it needs the attention at every level and obviously that means the leader
0: Alex, Rob laced his announcements as warnings of the consequences of no deal for the EU but these are contingencies for after the talks break down
2: yeah. so what's the relevance
0: <laughs> what's the relevance of that?
2: I was watching a lot of (coughs) CNN last week uh, because of all the stuff going on in Trump land, Mm. and they have a lot of medicines. Adverts And th- these announcements, they remind me basically of those medicines adverts that you have one and a half minute of people playing racquetball in a sunny beach, yeah. completely free from acne, yeah. you know, for this acne medication. And yeah. then a voice comes on very, very quickly at the very end quickly. and goes, you know, you may suffer from bleeding. If you suffer from bleeding, go to your doctor. Yeah. You may die from bleeding. Michael. <laughs> Michael's bubonic plague head exploding. The, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> spider the, legs. The, this is basically what this feels like. It feels like at the tail end of this twenty-four month process, suddenly someone comes on and has given the health warning as quickly and quietly as possible, <laughs> hoping that no one will notice the bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was hard to work out even how much of this was a,
1: was about no deal. On the, on the one hand, he kept on referring to, to fucking deals. Like he kept, mm. At one point, he was like, oh, you know, we'll be able to take care of that because we can come up with some kind of equivalency arrangement. Now, equivalency, clues in the name. Mm. You need two sides to come up with an equivalency arrangement. Yeah. So that presumes that there'll be a deal. IEA, these absolute chumpsters, the, you know, these, these, these supposed sort of free market guys who don't like the single market, that released some papers over the weekend doing exactly the same thing on aviation, sort of going, well, it's not true that planes would be grounded because we can always come up with some kind of arrangement with the EU. Yeah, yeah. No, well, yeah. like, arrangement means a fucking deal. Like, yeah. if, if the premise yeah, yeah, yeah. of your argument for no deal is to get a deal, then you have a very significant problem with your logical reasoning. Um, And so that came up again and again and again. Then in in the rest of it, he seemed to just get lost in this idea that actually, I mean, most of the bureaucracy he's talking about is hard Brexit bureaucracy. The stuff that you'd see on customs is what's going to happen if you have a Canada style
2: deal. It will happen either way.
1: Right. So he actually, so for a lot of it, he ignored the actual consequences of no deal, for instance, on organic food, for instance, on blockages at the border because of certification on food. And he really talked about what would happen if we got a Canada-type deal and put that in a no-deal paper. So even when it comes to the point that they're supposed to be talking about how severe it will be, they still just lie and lie and lie and pretend it will be better than it is. Rob doesn't look like he's, he's that into his new job, does he? He looks fucking terrified. <laughs> he's, he's so bad he makes David Davis look quite good. Because even though he talked the same amount of bollocks, at least David Davis looked fairly confident about the whole <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, but at, at least he, he goes to shitty.
2: meetings. We can't just blame the air mm, conditioning. That's true, so <laughs> that's something. At least he's actually going there and meeting that's people. a fair point yeah. he lacks yeah. the sort
0: of serene complacency of, of <laughs> David Davis like he, his face says that he's actually thought about some of this and he's worried which I think I prefer
1: yeah so Bill on Twitter sort of said they weren't going to use that phrase like witch in church anymore they'd just be like I'm sweating like a Brexit minister during a press conference <laughs>
0: Let's move on to something more cheerful, uh, possibly. Earlier this year, keen-eyed Romaniacs spotted something intriguing on the internet. There's a European commission body called the European Citizens Initiative, which gathers support for different legislative ideas. Like an easier word to say than legislative. <laughs> and they launched one which pretty much does what it says on the tin, permanent European Union citizenship. The idea is that even if your country leaves the EU, the European Union could find ways to grant you permanent EU citizenship. Signatures launched last week. It needs a million signatures by 23rd of June 2019. By the time we recorded the show, it had gained 66,000, 92% of which, for some reason, were from Britain. (laughs) If you want to find out more, just search for European Citizens Initiative. Seb, you're a MEP... What is this initiative, and and is it legit? Is it above board? Is it legit? My goodness. Uh, wait, <laughs> it, 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 we sure it's not yes. some shady data-gathering <laughs> scam. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just, just for,
3: for a free prize here, click here. No, it's, it is legit, uh, and these initiatives do uh, yield results because they are ultimately debated and discussed in the Parliament. Uh, So um, it is most definitely worth signing the petition. If you want to keep your European citizenship and you're currently facing losing it on the 29th of March, then yes, please sign the uh, initiative. It should be stressed, of course, that uh, the European Union has always been a kind of hybrid between, well, It started mostly off as a supranational body from the member states Uh, that's where it gets its authority with this added extra uh, supranational institutions like the parliament that that, that sort of um, separate themselves if you like from the member states Um, citizenship has always derived from one's own member state being a member of the European Union and that's the the key issue that that this initiative would have to change were it to be successful and of course that currently would require the uh, agreement of the individual member states themselves. And a lot of member states are very nervous about that, as you might uh, understand. That doesn't mean that this is doomed to failure because there is an awful lot of support for it from the parliament itself. I'm sure listeners will be familiar with Guy Verhofstadt's uh, stance on this, and he is ultimately the parliament's lead Mm. uh, uh, coordinator when it comes to the parliament's stance. So it is definitely worth supporting. It doesn't mean that it's a very easy thing to achieve, but it's it's, it's definitely worth making a lot of noise about and ultimately making the point that people are being deprived of... um, citizenship that they feel very very strongly uh, about keeping so that, that is always worth making a point about
0: how are they going to sell the idea to, to other countries that the EU would grant British citizens freedom of movement as the as citizens when EU citizens wouldn't have that mm. in the UK? Yeah, well, that's that's the
3: key issue, isn't it? That, that you would effectively, in the eyes of the member state governments, be giving uh, the citizens of a non-member state potentially more rights than uh, your own citizens, and that's the big stumbling block. And that's why we have to appeal to, if you like, people's sense of European identity, um, which... I hate to say it, is not as well developed in other member states as we would like it to be. Uh, and of course in other member states uh, there is still a significant lack of European identity, although I'm happy to say far more than uh, is apparent in the UK at times. But you know that is the appeal that we have to make to that sense of, sense of identity and common purpose. Uh, and ultimately try and get people to empathise look, if you were to uh, uh, have a, a situation where your member state were, were to leave the European Union, you would want to keep your union citizenship. Please think about the millions and millions of Brit who are in that boat right now,
0: Alex? A million signatures from seven countries in a year does not seem like a big ask, but only 500 people in Greece have signed it. You mate, that's your fault. That's the only Greek yeah. person. Should in I Harlem. tell them?
2: Should I tell them to sign up in that Greek? Was <laughs> <laughs> <That> <laughs> <was> <laughs>
0: That was that was an example. The uh, the I mean, support from from basically uh, other, all the other countries is is very low. Do you think that well, maybe
2: because th- none of them thinking- are planning to leave? No, but you- <laughs> and do
0: you think this is basically because they, it feels to them like it's they're just doing the radar. Brits a favour? Yeah,
2: it's not on their radar. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm suspicious of petitions anyway. I'm naturally averse to them because. It feels to me like anything that offers you a chance to sign here and get someone else to deliver salvation is going to be a false promise because change is always hard work, always. There are no counterexamples. And so the idea that, you know, you go and sign a petition is basically like saying, yes, I want this to happen, but someone else do the actual thing. It's a sort of political equivalent of having a personal shopper. And I I just... Uh, and it, yeah, I, an experience
0: i'm sure we can all relate yeah, i mean as a as a way
2: as a, as a way of of saying to a group of people like meps for instance or our own parliament which has a petition system we want you to talk about this yes it might be effective within that sanctioned environment
3: i, th- I think you perhaps undersell the power of a petition because if you are in a position to be able to affect change, if you're in a, a parliament or if you're in the commission, you can turn around and say, well, look, I've got X thousand people who have supported this. Or, you know, this is, there is clearly a clamour, even if it only comes from one current member state, that is nonetheless, nonetheless, that is a powerful case to say, look, these are the people directly
2: affected. I support it. I mean, I support it in a general brotherhood of man sort of way, because obviously I'm Greek, so I have EU citizenship. Who's going to offer me a petition for uh, guaranteeing that I will be able to live and work here Mm. in a year's time. That's what I'm interested in. (laughs) You know, that's my immediate burning... What's in it for Alex? (laughs) My (laughs) immediate burning thing. Um, And if we were to end up in a situation where somehow, bizarrely, actually, uh, uh, continuing European uh, citizenship was granted to British people because a petition was signed and the thing was you know um debated in in the European Parliament but they ended up disadvantaging the millions of EU27 people that live in the UK i'd be really quite upset about that
0: hmm. so how, how do these things start like who who drew up i mean there's a there's a sort of there's a kind of charter for this hmm. European citizens initiative who would Be behind that. Anyone. I mean, that's the
3: the the, purpose is that this is a way of, um, in effect, getting uh, commission proposals from places other than the commission. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously, the the heads of government meet every six months to determine the political priorities. The commission then goes away and enacts that. Um, But actually, this is another way of getting that um, impetus right from citizens. So, I mean. I understand, you know, petitions are not ideal, um, but actually as a way of of demonstrating public support for particular initiatives, I think you know, as blunt as they are, um, they can be particularly effective. And, uh, uh, I, you know, I, there should be more of them, frankly, in my view, because we have in, in the Parliament a petitions committee um, whose job it is specifically to scrutinise uh, petitions that come in, in that case, into the Parliament and to act uh, and to react to them. Um, and that's, that's, I think, an important part of the, the democratic process.
0: It's also quite a good illustration of how you, you, you thrash out your differences at an early stage because the initiative apparently rejected in its uh, statement... Uh, a policy of a Europe wide ban on nuclear energy and one that was recommended singing the European anthem in Esperanto <laughs> which is it's good to know I've been reading a little bit about the origins of Esperanto recently. it's great isn't it and it's good one of, the, one of the things that Hitler and Stalin both really hated for some reason, it, it sort of in, it enraged, enraged, enraged them. And then there <laughs> were all these other. It's a long list, is not it? democracy, yeah, yeah. liberalism, yeah. progress. Yeah. Some, <laughs> one of the many things. But it, I thought a delightfully sort of. Like, delightfully. A sort of very petty, a weirdly <laughs> petty thing that they would be bothered about. And also, there were all these other kind of. Um, other invented languages and everyone argued about them and they all argued between themselves i like Klingon Brant- <laughs> pre Klingon <laughs> but Esperanto is the one that survived Was there were all time. these others <laughs> and that this idea this sort of utopian idea of if you've got everyone to speak the same language uh, they do. It's got English. That's a, that's a trouble. It <laughs> 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 English. That's our parting gift. Do you
3: speak <laughs> English?
2: <laughs> you're
3: welcome. Yes, I was wondering <laughs> about that, actually.
2: Has there been any discussion <laughs> on whether the <laughs> oh, EU will dump? No, they won't. They won't. No, because, because It's still because of Ireland yeah, and Malta. Yeah,
3: I mean, they'll find a way. Because I mean, you're, you're currently only allowed one official language as per member state. And Malta has Maltese, not unreasonably. And Ireland has Irish, not oh, unreasonably. No. So, uh, they, so they'll. It's they'll that it, it could is possible be- but I mean Pretty much every single working meeting uh, is in English, so um, I, they will
2: find a way. But it'd be quite funny if all the <laughs> official documents, especially if the UK ended up in a situation <laughs> where it agreed to closely mirror all regulations, <laughs> <laughs> if suddenly none of them were issued in English, yes, because <laughs> why? Go, You're uh, a third country, could you screw re- you. Could you repeat <laughs>
0: that regulation slower and <laughs> <Yes>. louder? <laughs> 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 and in Greek, that would be fantastic. That would be great. <laughs> Finally, back to dear old Blighty and some exciting news about entryism At least 10% of UKIP's dwindling band of councillors that's 36 out of 358 have quit their party for the Conservatives according to research by the Red Raw, an alternative news site for the Labour Centre Meanwhile, Tory MPs like Anna Soubry and Nicky Morgan are taking the threat of hard right entryism seriously Ian, the uh, the lovable Bansmeisters of Leave.eu have been encouraging their followers to join the Tories and vote for Mog Johnson Apocalypse Ticket um, is uh, is Tory entryism sort of likely? I mean, should should Conservatives be kind of worried about an influx of uh, actual UKIP? They've already had a big influx, obviously, of previous UKIP voters. Mm. But is this something that they should be uh, wary of?
1: It's been quite hard to distinguish between entryism and just the lateral fluctuation of voters, given that the Tory party has shifted to the right, especially on European issues. Like, mm. I remember talking to a bunch of UKIP guys about four or five years ago for a piece. And almost all of them had left the Tories after Maastricht. Mm. So it couldn't make sense that there would be a return, mm-hmm. you know, from exile, from these guys now that, you know, it's the party that's going to follow through on Brexit. And I think it's very hard to tell these guys are following that programme or not. But even if they are following Banks's programme, I don't see what they're accomplishing that hasn't been accomplished already. Like the way that you'd have with yeah. any kind of leadership structure is you, you, you have the parliamentary party whittle down the options to two then send them to the membership. Now... I'm not sure that you can get a one-nation Tory into the final two. I'm not sure who the fuck it would be, even if you could. Like, what, Rudd? You know, who's pretty damaged by now and doesn't even seem that keen on the whole thing. Ken Clark, love him to bits, but, you know, he's, he's getting a bit long in the tooth for it at the moment. Ruth Davidson isn't available to, to take that role. She'd be the only one that you could imagine being successful there. So anyway, I don't know they're there. I don't think they could make it to the final two. And then if they went to the membership they would not be selected because mm. the membership is very heavily pro-Brexit already. Mm. So by chucking all those extra hard Brexit voters into the Tory party, you just think like, well, it's already full of them. Mm. So you're not accomplishing anything that isn't already the case. Well, everyone knows that the membership is, is right-wing. Yes. I mean, that's pretty much the one thing you can guarantee. Well, that and age are the two things
2: that they've got, you know, wrapped down tight. An, well, an interesting historical note here is that I don't think there's been a single leader of the Conservative Party in the last maybe 40 years that was obvious even six months before the leadership uh-huh, election. Mm-hmm. I was having a little look, and six months before Thatcher, no, she wasn't on the radar, major the same, Cameron the same. Mm. It just it for some reason, it is always someone that hasn't become involved in the infighting in the bidding for leadership that emerges somehow unblemished from the back, and they see him as a sort of compromise. maybe character. they're listening. Maybe. Maybe they're there. Save the country. Hello. Can you hear us? Who are you? Now is the time. (laughs) Please, please. Step (laughs) forward. Well, the
0: the Tory party is a lot smaller and a lot older than the Labour Party. Amazingly, I I think it was last year. I can't remember which period that those stats covered. But it received more money from the dead via legacies than from living members. Mm. It is is, the party of the dead. Which is sobering. (laughs) I mean,
2: literally. Yeah, it is literally. Um, and should they, should, should the dead th- are many, though, for the many, not the few. <laughs> 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 the the living are than a small the, number yeah. compared <laughs> but, to all the to dead. To the legions of the dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think it should be trying, moving the other direction, and trying a kind of, uh, you know, a sort of expansion of the membership to make it sort of less extremist? And I think that a lot of people in the leadership, you know, and, and indeed the parliamentary party, would quite like it not to be the case that once you throw it to the membership...
2: Now, how do you they do that, though? Point. I mean, how do you target an expansion towards a particular segment of the electorate? I mean, it didn't exactly it. work out for Labour, did it? <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you mean? Well, maybe, oh, yeah. you know. For, <laughs> for, for some people out there, it really worked out. But the point is, once you open it up, mm. you are at the mercy of the mm. process, aren't you? As, but, as we found out practically a few years ago.
0: I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. What 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 the Labour situation did illustrate is that it's it's always going to be people who are kind of more activist minded. Yes. You know the people that are going to get involved and really going to kind of change. That's good. Things. Yes. Yeah. But they're they they're not going to be from the um, they're often not from the centre. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying mm. there are no kind of like passionate activists from the kind of moderate wings of parties, but massively that, pro-European. I
2: Should say they Most are. People, yeah. 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 Well, on and this is the only issue in which the leadership seems to be completely ignoring the mm. membership. I mean, every single poll of Labour voters, of mm. Labour members, every single one shows them to be hugely pro a, a, a second vote. For mm. instance, mm. where is the leadership mm. on this? Mm. It's simply tenear. Mm-hmm. I very much hope we can change that at a conference.
3: Uh, but yeah, uh, absolutely there is a, there is a huge movement in the par- in the Labour Party. I'm sorry we ended up talking about the Labour Party yeah. but no it's fine. Right. No, but, no, but, no. but but you know that there, there is a huge movement from members. Every time I send an update I get masses and masses of support mostly from new members I should say. Um, and uh, they, you know, there is a, a, a deep desire to get their voices heard on this.
2: Is it going to be debated? Do we know? I that really now? hope so. I really because hope the so. last two years, yeah. it's it's been squeezed out yeah. of the of the agenda, yeah. basically, because they know what the answer will be. Mm-hmm. They know what they know what conference I, will I think, come. I yeah. mean, it will be the the world's most pointless debate, to be honest, <laughs> because uh, we already know what conference yeah, will come well, back with. I think that
3: their biggest fear is being boxed into a particular position, and they want maximum flexibility. But yeah. the Point here is if you have as your ethos, which of course they say they do, the democratization of the party. You cannot ignore what is clearly the biggest issue affecting, particularly the next generation, for you know for decades to come. This this has to be
0: discussed. Yeah. And finally, I it has been a it's been a rough old month on on Labour Twitter for uh, for various reasons. But you are mm. talking there about uh, getting a lot of messages from um, people. They said largely new members mm. at Europe. Um, do you think, like in your experience, is the kind of uh, the side of kind of labor activism that, that one generally sees on Twitter, even mm. if you're not looking for it, mm. unrepresentative of the membership at large? Because it seems there this, this seems so many sort of angry, extreme voices. Mm. And I just can't believe that there are that many of them.
3: I think, you know, you get angry, extreme voices in all political movements. But if we're going to talk about the specific issue of anti-Semitism, there is clearly a problem. There is clearly a big problem uh, on the left. Uh, there is clearly a big problem on the right. Yes. But in, in the context of the Labour Party, there is a problem. Uh, and we have to be much, much better and much faster uh, at suspending people who you know, are. Uh, uh, under investigation, or, or who are blatantly anti-Semitic, and there can't really be any grey area on that. Um, but in terms of are they representative? They're certainly not representative of the many hundreds of people that I campaign with uh, when you know when we go out for local elections, when we go out for uh, London Assembly elections, and and, and, and other uh, national elections. Mm. Um, they're not representative of the CLPs, the Constituency Labour Parties that I talk to when I. Uh, do my my Thursday and Friday talks when I'm when I'm back in London, um, but you know I, it's that question, age old question, well, age old question since the, the dawn of the internet. <laughs> how representative is Twitter of what's really going on out there? Uh, and I, I, I'm not qualified to answer that, but there's certainly uh, you know there certainly is a problem amongst some, some of the the, the members. <laughs>
0: You've heard him throughout the show. Our special guest is London MEP Seb Dance, who sits on the Environment and Development Committees. Uh, so we're going to uh, talk a bit more detail about what you actually do. Oh dear. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> it's been I a mean, while. I mean, being in the kind of the last, potentially the last generation of British mm-hmm. MEPs, what uh, are you sort of trying to get done before you go what's mm. w- what's most important to you at this point
3: well uh, and and you're right to stress potentially and and if we do leave on the 29th of march i am very confident that there will be others uh, at some point um down the line so th- i suppose there are two things uh, first is you know we are carrying on with our um work and our legislation uh, as you mentioned earlier i sit on the environment committee there's a lot going on uh, on uh, on all of the legislative committees that we sit on. And so I want to make sure that we get as progressive a, a voice as possible when it comes to climate change, air quality, uh, vehicle emissions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of that stuff carries on, whether we're in or out. And, of course, we'll still be subject to it, uh, whether we're in or we're out. Um, and then the second uh, uh, kind of aspect of the work, I suppose, is to uh, maintain the voice of pro-Europeans from Britain, to make the very explicit uh, case that um, our colleagues and comrades shouldn't give up on this island uh, that we're still here that we'll always be here uh, and that we believe very passionately in working together and cooperating uh, in uh, Europe and that again whether we're in or we're out uh, don't forget the Brits Uh, we do have some positive things to contribute uh, and that's I think what all of my uh, colleagues the 19 other Labour MEPs that uh, I'm very privileged to share this role with I think that's what we're all doing.
1: Did any part of the system sort of start to shut down around you after the vote? I mean, um, just yeah. certain meetings or whatever.
3: Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question because um, you know the, the, the change in in tone, uh, I suppose, was was detectable quite early on. Um, I should say within our group, the S and D group. They've been brilliant. They've supported us. They've defended us throughout. They've said, "Look, as long as Britain is a member state, you will have full voting rights." No one, no, no discussion of kind of you know observer status and all this stuff. But there were calls from some other groups to remove us from uh, voting rights, um, and. Basically, it was a political motivation because the EPP at the time didn't have any UK MEPs, whereas the S and D has twenty UK MEPs. Could so you just they, explain? Yes, the EPP of course. So the EPP S&D. is the um, centre-right grouping, the, the biggest grouping in the parliament, and the S and D, which is the group that Labour sits in, is the second biggest group. So the EPP uh, realised that if they knocked twenty. Uh, MEPs out from the S and D group, they would obviously get more of their stuff through, uh, because it would be harder for the S and D group to work with other groups to 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 counter them. Um, I'm pleased to say that, that look, the principle is 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 cast iron. If you're a member state, you send. Members of the European Parliament to the European Parliament, and they're there, and they have full voting rights. So that that thankfully was protected. Having said that, you know there are people who feel betrayed. Uh, they feel that um, at this moment in history, when you've got Trump on one side and Putin on the other, uh, for us to be um, in effect self-indulging uh, like this um, is a betrayal of a key alliance, uh, and they 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 feel very strongly about that. And so if they happen to be in a position of responsibility, they i.e. they're in charge of giving particular MEPs. Uh, reports and so on, uh, then they can be hostile to the idea of a Brit. Uh, I'm pleased to say that that hasn't happened in the Environment Committee, speaking personally, um, I've been very well supported by um, the relevant uh, people who, who, I, who I suppose I would uh, uh, consider my bosses in, in, in terms of the, the work we do on the environment and they've been very good and very very uh, supportive to me, but that's not always been the case for, for everyone. So that change in tone has definitely been, been noticeable.
0: And are relations with the UKIP MEPs as hostile Private as they seem in public. Do you have to go to like different Moule freak joints? Uh, Oh, no. (laughs) It's
3: It's unavoidable, isn't it? I mean, okay, so I did this this Channel 4 program um, uh, called Carry On Brussels. If you haven't seen it, please do. Uh, And uh, I'm sure it's still on catch up. And you know, what, they, they followed me around and they followed UKIP MEPs around and they followed the UKIP press officer um, who is an avuncular guy who is quite hard to miss in the Parliament and we, we kind of have had small talk and I feel a bit aggrieved about that says, no, I want to hate you, I can't possibly have small talk with you but you know, we're all human beings and, and occasionally we nod and, and, uh, uh, and acknowledge each other but I have to say I have, you know, I have zero in common I have absolutely nothing in common uh, politically with, with anyone in UKIP and I try and avoid them as much as I can Um, It's not the case with the Tories, obviously, because although I hate what they're doing to my country, um, obviously there are um, issues that it's sensible to work with the Conservative Party occasionally on when it comes to safeguarding uh, Britain's interests. And that's, you know, we we, we do do that, but it's impossible to do that with, with, with the Kippers.
0: Do they, are they ever around?
3: And they are. I mean, well, they are mostly in the bar uh, at 11am in Strasbourg. I can say that because it's true. Um, but, um, you know, they, they, they do their thing. And I don't know, some of them think that they're progressing, whatever cause it is. They think they're progressing. But I mean, look, when it comes to the reports, when it comes to the actual legislative work that the parliament does day in, day out, i.e. the job description, um, they're nowhere to be seen,
2: really. Um, The the debate in the UK about whether there's going to be a people's vote or Mm. uh, a delay or, Mm. you know, all of that stuff on the whole happens as if it's for us to decide (laughs) whether that will happen or not. My uh, contacts in Brussels report that there is a definite school of thought that's very much looking forward to the UK not being mm. actually a part of the inner circle because mm. they feel, you know, they've been hecklers mm. for a long time, and they can push agendas now that mm. that they couldn't before. Mm. Um, what what's uh, what's your feeling on this? Do you think if if there were a people's vote, for instance, and there was a decision to not leave the EU. Would it be as straightforward as announcing we're not leaving?
3: Yeah, I think in the, in the case of a vote, it would um, yeah. be relatively straightforward in the sense that uh, no one is, is is from the Commission or, or member states is going to turn around and go, ah, but uh, you must leave. It's simply written in the stars uh, mm. that you that you have to leave, irrespective of what current public opinion is now saying. Um, but I think you're right you picked up on a i think a a, a divide if you like um potentially amongst the the eu twenty seven I think there is a school of thought that says look if Britain is either floundering because of its own stupidity or subject to european rules anyway because of the transition or whatever deal uh, um, is thrashed out but does not have uh, blocking rights or um you know a voice that makes it difficult for us then actually that's that's Pretty much a perfect situation for, for a lot of people, but uh, the other side of the divide is very clearly, um, you know, looking at this in, in, in the kind of geopolitical terms and realizing that the UK leaving is not in the European Union's interest, no matter how belligerent and awkward of the course, UK is. Absolutely. Because that ultimately, there are other countries that are even more belligerent and awkward, uh, particularly at the at the moment. Uh, <laughs> that the potential there for belligerence and awkwardness uh, is not limited to the UK, and uh, and I think that that's probably the majority view, I yeah. would say. Uh, but but you're certainly right. There is a small strand of opinion. That, and that and that you way.
2: think I am I got from you that you think it would be a, a, a different if it were a political decision mm. not to exit as opposed mm. to a people's decision. I, I think exit. it makes it a lot easier but ultimately if the
3: UK government said look... Uh, this isn't working, we need a rethink, I think you, we would
2: find ourselves in a situation where we get a sympathetic hearing. Might there be a price to be extracted? Might, might there be a loss of some vetoes in some areas, seeing uh, as we'd have to effectively renegotiate? I mean, that,
3: it all depends on the timing. If- if if there were a change before the 29th of March there's nothing anyone can really do uh, and the Commission's made that clear that it's up to the UK if, if the UK rescinded Article 50 there's not much anyone can do about that that doesn't have to be um, decided by the EU27 an extension does so it really depends on the timing there and if it happens before the twenty ninth of March. Legally, there's nothing that can be done to remove the veto. To 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 well, you can't. That's written into the treaties. But the, the rebate uh, and other uh, perks that we we have uh, at the moment, there would be nothing legally that could be done to remove those. Mm.
0: And you mentioned obviously that there are there are other countries to, to be talking about, and in the sort of corridors, salons, speakeasies. It's so <laughs> um, <laughs> we're in, we're in Brussels. Are you talking about? <laughs> um what I mean what are the other kind of big issues sort of facing the EU at the moment I mean I, I, I look at someone like you know orban in Hungary mm. Which mm. just seems like a, like a mm. terrifying figure mm. um, and I'm, I'm thinking like what, what are the other when brexit isn't being discussed mm. what what are the kind of anxiety issues mm.
3: oh it's the resurgence in nationalism without, without a question I mean um, the awful tragedy in Italy uh, uh, the motorway bridge for example uh, and, and the minister there Salvini coming out and declaring it was because of EU rules on structural funding I mean th- this is the kind of populist appeal to try and link either tragedies or events or uh, strong public feeling which is legitimate but then turn it into an anti-European sentiment that is happening all over Um, and look what happened in Germany over the weekend. Um, There are uh, movements that are seeking to exploit people's fear and worry about the future um, because things are changing very quickly. We know, obviously, technology is changing things at a rate that I don't think any of us really properly understands yet, Uh, and people are scared, and and I'm afraid uh, right-wing populist nationalists have got the art of exploiting that fear down to a T, and that's that's happening in, in many, many member states, and I think that's the number one worry.
1: Away from the EU stuff, um, we talked about the Corbyn sort of mobs and blah. I mean, are MEPs sort of? You know, are they sort of excluded from any of that sort of vitriol online? Or, or do you find there's an awful lot of people telling you to fuck off and oh, stay inside the party? where's or Twitter,
3: so there's, all, there's yeah, lots of people telling me to fuck off on a daily basis. Just, you, 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 uh, you kind of get but used it to it. It is free, though. Yeah, so, yeah, it's yeah. free. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Do some people pay for people to tell them to fuck off? We are in cyber exactly. Soho. So so yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah just just the corner. Speakeasies in my <laughs> free, free
3: previous yeah. use of this building, I believe. It. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, but but I mean I don't get anything like the abuse that my Westminster colleagues get. I mean, uh, and and most of the abuse I get is related to to my stance on the European uh, Union. It's it's um, very very rarely do I do I get uh, other abuse, but uh, but it does happen.
1: But yeah, we're, we're not,
3: nothing like my Westminster colleagues.
1: And what if, what are most sort of MEPs going to do next if mm. Brexit isn't stopped? I mean, are mm. most of them going to sort of try to? I'm presuming it's sort of the think tank world, and maybe try to sort of go into sort of Westminster or something like that. Or what is the well-trodden path for former MEPs? Well, that that is a question that I think uh,
3: every everybody is is worrying and fretting about. They yeah, <laughs> write into us every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Please, so will someone think of the MEPs? Now, there's a said, petition no with a million signatures.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, now's your chance. Citizens' initiative. Hint, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. Really, it depends. Depends on what we think each of our in, individual skill set is, and, and what we're best, uh, uh, best, best, you know, kind of doing. I mean, it might, it, you know, I can only speak personally, can't I? And, and you know, for me, the the burning thing at the moment is that we have got to do better for this country. This country is at the moment is making yes a huge mistake, um, but worse than that, we're not preparing the next generation for. The changes that are that are coming uh, for uh, uh, the ability to make analytical decisions about what is true and what isn't true, uh, and you know, we will not be able to compete in the world if if if, if this is the the the, um, the the situation that our school leavers are in. Um, so I you know I feel very strongly about kind of what needs to be done. But oh, I don't know I mean, who knows who knows. I have no idea what the future holds, and uh, I, I just want to make sure that I, if Brexit happens, do as much as I can to use my knowledge of how the European Union works to to help this country and make it uh, uh, suffer less than it needs to.
1: They used to say that if there was any sort of extension to Article 50 mm. then the EU's problem would be that well that would mean we'd have to have MEPs going for election mm. again, mm. we don't understand mm. that. People say mm. that a lot less now. Do you feel like that objection is fading away? It's or less the
3: it's a... EU's problem uh, it's, it's more the, the government's problem because um, uh, you know a European election in, Ma- in May 2019 would effectively be another quasi referendum or you know on, on yeah. European membership so it would be very difficult I think for the government to accede to that um, so do you know were there to be, and we're totally in a hypothetical situation now. But were they to extend, do they do it just until the term of the current mandate, which is until the end of June? That's a possibility. But then technically, we would then still be a member state at the time of the European election. So we may even have to have them, even if we don't then send anyone who's elected. Um, but I mean, look, this is, I think that's the biggest the biggest problem on that front is the government is determined not to. Oh, and John Mann, for some reason, said that's his red line. You know, everything else is fine oh, wow. but as long as we don't send those those wretched MEPs the European Parliament? That's right. his red line. So I don't know. Lots of people kind of see that as the test of whether or not we have brexited.
1: What did you ever do to John Mann?
3: <laughs> I do. I was wondering because he was quite keen to be an MEP. If I, if I remember <laughs> maybe right?
0: that's what you did. That's you know, what it issue. is. That's what it is. I mean, yeah. Who knows? Can we reach a compromise where you do go, but just in disguise? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can reach yes. a compromise? Bonjour, John <laughs> Mann is not a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Do I <laughs> I'm- now, you're on the Environment Committee and the EU's made you know, lots of advances in environmental law. And I wondered, are there particular directives, whether to do with the environment or, or elsewhere, that you think are the kind of vul- particularly vulnerable to being reversed? Sort of parts of that kind of legislative, I hate that word, <laughs> legacy <laughs> um, that you're, you're sort of worried about in Britain? Yeah,
3: um, I mean, we have this thing called the precautionary principle in, in environmental environmental. Oh, I can't speak now. <laughs> Another environment bad word. green uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> green laws uh, that um, it basically says, look, if we're not sure about something, we should we should operate on the idea that we should assume it is going to harm the environment and or public health or whatever area it is, and um, and that kind of has, has served served us well uh, in terms of uh, um, having strong. Legislation to to protect the environment, uh, and uh, when it comes to new consumer products, to make sure that they're absolutely um, watertight before they're released into the market. And it it worries me that you know that's seen as red tape. And um, actually, in order to free businesses, we need to uh, make sure that they're not burdened by not being able to exploit new technology and all the rest of it. And that that worries me. Um, You know, nothing is ever perfect. You could say that it it restricts innovation too much, but I don't think it does. I think, on balance, it it, it's worked pretty well, and that's one of the areas that I think could suffer. Um, But I mean, you know, again, could in the in the idea that we have left everything and are not subject to any European rules, and that's only really possible under a no deal scenario. Um, And I still don't think that's actually what the government is planning for.
0: And finally, I mean, obviously, you are you are pro Europe. Probably were pro-Europe when you tried to become an MEP. Um, but what did why you... I joined? My, that's why I joined the Labour Party. <laughs> right there we go. Really? Yeah. When yeah. was that? Uh, oh
3: God, I was sixteen. So um, mid. No, I'm not going to say when I was sixteen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when I was sixteen. Not that, not that <laughs> long ago. <laughs> no, 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 mid very, mid yeah, some decade. Very, uh, very uh, recently. Few, a few years ago. <laughs> um,
0: but what did you? Um, I mean, I suppose. What's the impression that you would like to share that that you've had from from being in the Parliament that you just did not understand beforehand, and that you think perhaps mm. many people don't oh understand
3: gosh. i wish I wish I'd thought about that a bit longer um that's a great question i suppose um, i i one of the negative things um i think that has surprised me is you know it it's not just the Brits that think only in a national vernacular and then kind of try and apply that at a european level it pretty much most uh, uh, other um, uh, countries you know they, they send meps that, that that do that and it's very refreshing i think to find colleagues who think in a much more pan european way to say well actually look, this is a common problem that we all face and let's try and look at how this can can uh, can can work across and i think you know of all the institutions the parliament is definitely having said that that it's 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 surprising that that still happens is definitely the best institution for that because ultimately, and I take the example of the environment. When you look at trying to get the most ambitious levels through the the strongest targets on you know CO2 emissions or car emissions, it's always the member states that block it because they have a perceived short-term interest that their car industry or their coal industry or whatever is going to suffer. When actually, in the long term, everyone will benefit, and it's normally the parliament. Through being pan-European, uh, that, that that overcomes that, uh, and 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 that's I think one of the the things that that um, has really strengthened my belief in 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 having a directly elected European Parliament. And in contrast to the view that Lord Adonis takes, which I know is uh, rather sceptical of of having a directly uh, elected European Parliament, but I think we have pushed for the m- more ambitious um, stuff, particularly on the environment, and that's a very very good mm. thing.
1: Are you expecting the elections in in 2019 to be quite... I mean, it it feels like sort of Orban and Salvini on one Mm. hand are going to take on the sort of... More Macroni sort of attitude. Are you expecting that to turn into Macroni? Cl- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like shifty biscuit. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> uh, are you <laughs> expecting that to be this sort of big sort of clash of future of Europe? Yeah,
3: but it's a mugs game predicting anything because you know if in the 2014 election, everybody said, oh, you know, it's going to be the rise of the nationalists, it's going to sweep the um, EPP and S and D away, and yes, there was a big upsurge in support for nationalist parties in 2014, but nothing on the scale that people predicted. And mm. um, now, obviously, it feels as if that's the case. It feels as if there is going to be a a coordinated um, right-wing nationalist uh, attempt, if you like, to get much, much more representation and potentially even to wield the balance of power on things. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I have a lot more faith in uh, in, in people's kind of uh, recognition that that the European idea is is under threat, and actually, it's important more now than ever before to to rally uh, to the idea of, of, of cooperation and peace
0: in Europe. That's good. Uh, once a month, we need to have a guest that has faith and optimism. <laughs> just, to, just to keep our spirits like up. The first one in six months. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're coming towards the end of the show, which means it's time for a few of your messages to Romaniacs. It's the exciting new feature. Which did this happen while I was away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Despite Ian's work. resistance and my lack of c- consultation, we still insist on calling. But, but you have your emails. emails. That's what I'm talking about. I like that. It's like a kind of like George (laughs) Um, Costanza's mother. Exactly. But your emails, George! (laughs) What about your emails? Ian. Right, okay. So,
1: listener Will Sadler from Newcastle was a bit of speculative fiction for us. If early next year the government is defeated on an amendment requiring a referendum on a final deal, and May resigns, presumably we could technically have no Tory leader on March the 29th. After all, we'd be in the throes of a Conservative leadership election. In such circumstances, would it be David Liddington as acting PM who would have to go to the EU and ask for Article 50 extension? The answer, I, I don't know the answer to that question, because there's no Deputy Prime Minister. He's the Cabinet Office Secretary. It wouldn't surprise me if it was him, but I don't know internally whether that comes down to Tory party rules or whether there's some kind of constitutional arrangement for who would be the one to make that call. Devon Linton's is as good a guess as any. I do not know the answer.
3: Gosh, it's very niche. The It's pretty not, niche. The yeah. joys of not having a written constitution. the <laughs> <laughs> Queen, maybe the Queen does it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she, she just, just walks in like and yeah. goes, <laughs> all right,
2: lads. I'll get this one. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, Alex? Paul Keeley, somewhere in France, says, As an Irish person living in France for eight years, I love being European and equally love your show. He loves the show equally as being European. I grew up in (laughs) Ireland during a time when we were in the grips of a horrific terrorist war 100 kilometres from Dublin. It bewilders me to think that educated members of the British government are even entertaining the thought that the Good Friday Agreement is now irrelevant. The fact that after so many difficulties between our two countries, we are possibly the closest friends in Europe is testament to the effects of free trade and freedom of movement. Lastly, I am sorry to say that Ian's laugh is n- nearly reason enough to listen to the podcast. Have know. you ever thought of sending a recording of it to all the patron oh, backers? He's uh,
0: blushing yeah. and waving a little fan. Oh. <laughs> oh, Mr. Darcy, you flatter me so.
3: <laughs> That's a it's- really good point. And, and it's not talked about very much. The. the He's talking yeah. about my laugh right
0: now,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah laugh. <laughs> we'll laugh. It's not. It, uh, actually, he's talked about too much, his laugh. Yeah, his laugh. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but with but you, the, you, the, the, the
0: island? island. Oh, <laughs> Island, yes. Oh, <laughs> no, oh, no, Island's quite, disgusting. But it's enough, quite it's interesting <laughs> how you, you, someone like Mog pipes up and you just realise that there are certain people that, that literally do not care mm. about yeah, yeah. Island. And they're just, they're kind of blatant about it. They're just like this, this enormous, like, decades long trauma mm. that was finally, you know, not resolved. 100%, but you know, kind of withdrew from that period of violence. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, it's almost as if, you
3: know, life and death issues are not worth uh, uh, advice to shareholders. I mean, it's, it's
0: quite it's quite something. Really. It's always good to hear your thoughts, so please email us at infomaniacs.com. Keep your message concise, mark it for podcasts, and we'll read out the best ones. Now it's time for the Brexit time capsule. Seb, dance. You're the guest. What's going in our centrist sarcophagus? <laughs> oh, oh my <laughs> that's god! Produ- that's producer Andrew. I like that. Of uh, things we'll miss if we leave the EU, or things we'll need if we're out on our own. Not including your job as an MP. Not including my job as an MP. <laughs> oh
3: gosh, what will go in the sarcophagus? Um, I think. Uh, well, I, can it be? It does it have to be a physical thing? Or can no, it be, it concept can be a Concept are good thing. Oh, it has to be free movement, surely. It has to be, you know, the idea that we can uh, live and work and study and do everything we want over a much, much bigger area than just the geographical confines of our particular nation state. Isn't that a great
1: thing? Isn't that a, it is. a huge However, freedom? It has already been selected. Oh, damn it! I don't know if we <laughs> have two of the same thing. Can we have two oh, yeah. times free movement? Put yeah. sure, free two freedom I'll movement. I'll
3: put my through. sign in there. Gone. <laughs>
2: <Yay!
3: laughs> yeah. That it's not as grand or you know, it doesn't mean back, as much. He's but written freedom of movement. Yeah, exactly. Brackets freedom of movement. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks, Sam. And Except here's too conceited. <laughs> <laughs> and here's your traditional clip of a non-English EU language. Here is listener Eva Rax with some Hungarian.
3: meg a sült
0: That means so long and thanks for all the fish and chips. If you speak a European language, other than English, then we want your farewell clip too. Just record an appropriate few lines on your phone and email them with a translation, because we're ignorant, to info at We'll use the best ones. And that's the end of the show. Many thanks to our special guest, Seb Dance. Keep on keeping on until the end of March. And thanks as ever to Alex and, <laughs> and stop And, and after that, just and expire. <laughs> no, In that particular role, then he will obviously oh, keep yes. keeping on. I don't want him to die at the end of March. just want to clarify that. You have that served your listeners. usefulness. Goodbye. <laughs> we'll send flowers. Yeah. Um, so, do th- thanks for coming in. And thanks ever to Alex and Ian. We'll see you he soon. He always threatens all the guests with death. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, he yeah. ends every show it with,
0: We'll send flowers to the guest. <laughs> <laughs> one, one last plug before we go for the Great Northern Stop Brexit Conference in Leeds on Saturday, the 8th of September. The plan is to create a vision of a new Britain without Brexit. And it's a festival of former Romaniacs guests, including Eloise Todd, Femi Oluele, Andrew Adonis, and A.C. Grayling. When you come up with that vision of a new Britain, please tell us because we could do with it. Now arrange your speakers in a quadraphonic array for our theme tune Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, and our thanks to some of our fantastic Patreon backers.
2: Hello, and thanks for me to Adam Smith, who is sharing The Wealth of Nations with us, Ross Drayton, Edwin Tendam, Sean Waters. Ian White. Thanks from me to Nick Lupton,
1: Andrew Gregg, Steve Duerden, Philip Branco and David Fenton and also thank you to Gillian who just went on holiday to British Columbia. That was a very lovely letter you sent me. Thank you very much.
0: And finally, thanks from me to Tim Bewley, Stuart Noble, R. John Davis, Jacob Korab and Beckett McGrath. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Romaniacs was presented by Dorian Linsky with Alex Andreo and Ian Dunt. The producer was me, Andrew Harrison, and studio productions by Sophie Black. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production.